The podcast, the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, the podcast. My name is Father Peter, Father Peter. I don't feel like I was going to go with the music at all. Oh, but you know what? It, I, I don't know what our listeners think, but I, you know, when I edit it and I go through this, you're usually singing at the beginning of a podca- podcast, uh-huh. and 90% of the time, it, it strangely goes with the music. I don't know if it's the providence of God or what, but somehow it works. Did I ever tell you about when I actually went to a, because it's a boy and his dog, right? What's the? <laughs> kite. A boy and his kite. A boy kite. and his kite. Boy yeah. and his kite. Um, I, I actually, Sorry, can we pause and just say that this is the word on the hill with the lanky guys. I'm Scott Powell. I'm Father Peter Mussett. And, and I okay. was actually at the Boy concert. Uh, uh, Dave was, Wilton. I was, I was listening and I was listening to this song and I was like, I was like, man, this is a great song. I was like, why do I know this song? <laughs> yeah, you did tell me. <laughs> I just, it was a con, like his concert. Right? It was a, it was a concert. Mm-hmm. And, and I it was, was our opening theme song. It was our opening theme song. It I've made, heard this before. It made me so happy. <laughs> do you even know? That's awesome. Like, I think, were you with Keenan? Uh-huh. Somebody somebody sent me like a, a video on their phone of that song, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool, dude!" It was it was totally awesome. Uh, Dave Wilton, buy Dave Wilton's music, you guys. A boy in his kite. He, uh, I think he's great. Yeah. So everybody, we are so excited you're back with us at the podcast for the fourth Sunday of Ordinary Time, and it's um it's uh it's wintry here, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. It's warming up a little bit. I know, but I mean, wait but a it's second. Snowed. Are we going to be one of those podcasts that's talking about weather? <laughs> I think we can do better than that. So Deuteronomy is our first reading today. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't mean to dissuade you from fun fun topics. I just, you know, you're like, oh, the weather's really nice today. Dude, well, we always talk about the weather, man. Yeah, we do. We do. We talk about the weather Because it's bolder. It's like, it's like everybody wishes that they were here with us. Oh. Well, speaking of old, our speaking first reading <laughs> is from Deuteronomy today. Good work, Father 18, Peter. 18, 15 to 20. Deuteronomy 18, 15, 20. Very good. Uh, our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 95, verse 1 through 2, 6 through 7, and 7 through 9. Our and response itself is coming from 8. Got to slip that in there. Do not harden your hearts when at Mirabah and on the day of Manasseh in the desert. Massa. Manasseh was something else. <laughs> Mirabah and Massa. You really? said Mirabah and Manasseh. Manasseh? Mirabah and Massa. Dude, okay, so and then our second reading is from the, the, the Corinthians. Manasseh was one of the 12 tribes. Massa means to quarrel. More on that later. But so basically what you're doing is you're quarreling with me. I'm Massaing with you. You do? Yes. Oh, but dude, I, but I'm quit Massaing with me. <laughs> oh, Fuck. hey, well done. Uh, dude, that's awesome. Oh. First Corinthians 7, 32 to 35. Very good. And the gospel coming from the gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 21 through 28. Dude, okay, so so Deuteronomy. Whenever I'm in Deuteronomy, yes. I always feel like I don't know, just old school, man. I just feel like I'm just I'm tapping into something deep and old. Oh, good, like me on my birthday. Like you, <laughs> on your birthday, is that yeah, what you're like, at? like I'm like, a year, I'm like a year and a half younger than you, so at least I've always got that. Yeah, dude. All right, here's what I have to say. But did you know that Deuteronomy is one of my favorite books of the Bible? Dude, we've talked about Aronomy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I actually did know that. Yeah, okay. I think I'm sure I've said it before. It, it's and part of why, like, I'm always root for the underdog, and it's one of those books that gets written off too much because you're like Deuteronomy. It's boring and there's numbers. It's and a stuff. book of law, dude. Yeah, it's not. It's a book about the heart, and uh, it, the the Hebrew word for heart is the word levav, L-E-V-A-V. Levav, the heart, shows up more in the book of Deuteronomy than any other book in the Bible, which tells us that the God who is giving us 
laws and rules and norms to live by ultimately is doing it because he wants to win our hearts. Yeah. And the book is essentially about, um, if you put it in context, it is uh, the Exodus generation has sort of begun to die off, right? The people who came out of Egypt, who witnessed the, the plagues, you know, the Passover, crossed the Red Sea, all of this stuff has happened. Um, they were unfaithful to God. They worshiped a golden calf. They did all these things. They're beginning to die out now. And Moses is looking toward a new generation of Israelites who are about to go into the promised land Um hopefully be the people that God has begun and tried and wants to establish as his own people after his own heart. And this is a book encouraging them and strengthening them and instructing them on who God wants them to be. Mm. And uh, for the, uh, in terms of salvation history, the book of Deuteronomy is often seen as Israel's covenant constitution. So as we would look at as Americans, our constitution, this is how the Jewish people looked at the book of Deuteronomy. That's the importance of it. I think it's quoted. I had some something in my notes about how many times it's quoted in the Bible. And it's an absurd amount of times that it's actually, I think in the New Testament alone, in the Gospels alone or something, it's like 83 times Whoa. that Jesus or one of the apostles quotes uh, Deuteronomy, which just tells wow. you how important it actually yeah, is. Yeah, like that's critical. Yeah, and these are the instructions on on how to live. It is, like I said, the covenant constitution. It is catechesis, essentially. We talked about catechesis before the podcast. This is God saying, this is, and you know, we, Actually, we do we, we this. Actually, we talked about catechesis. We talked about chiasmus. <laughs> we talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah, we did. We have weird conversations before the podcast. <laughs> no kidding. Um, but uh, I lost my train of thought. Dang it! I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I didn't mean to uh, oh, sacrifice. Oh, all you I was going to say is catechesis. <laughs> it's okay. All I was going to say is sometimes you know we look at stuff like this, and we see it as dry law code and oppressive like laws and rules that are put on us. But it's not that. It is instructions to live. That's what catechesis is. Instruct mm. me on what I need to do to mm. live a fruitful and happy life. Right. And that's what God's doing here. And we're showing up. Our reading is coming, you know, really smack in the middle of this. Uh, one of the things we talked about, I feel like we talked about this a few months back. Deuteronomy 17, which comes right before our reading today, has these instructions for the future king of Israel. So someday you're going to grow into a people. Someday you're going to be a nation. You're going to have a king. And the king is supposed to look a particular way. Um, you know, he's supposed to write down the whole book of Deuteronomy, literally keep it by the side of his throne to remind himself of what kind of a people they're supposed to be. It's the, uh, the section where it says, you know, every king of Israel should not have too many wives, too many weapons, and too, many, uh, too much wealth, right? All these instructions. And then it goes on to talk about what sort of priests you ought to have. And then it goes on to talk about what sort of prophets you ought to have. And I was reading this this week, and it's hard for me to read this outside of the context of Jonah, which we talked about last week, you know, our reading. Oh, yeah. Who oh, was yeah. the the unfaithful prophet par excellence in a lot of way, right? <laughs> I mean, he was the one who, who Dude, his he, job it was to, uh, to spread God's word, and he runs from God's word. But I, I do, I don't think there's a, it's not coincidental that we just, we read a story about an unfaithful prophet, and then we're giving a story, we're given a, 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 um, a text this week about what a faithful prophet is. And so you have Moses, remember what the context, Moses is standing before this new generation. They're about to go in the land. They're looking toward what it's going to be like when we become a people, a, a nation, a kingdom, right? And he said, there's going to be a prophet like, um, a prophet like me, says Moses, will the Lord your God raise up for you? Because remember, mm. Moses isn't going to lead the people into the promised land. 
that was me. He's not going to lead the people into the promised land. He's actually going to unfortunately die before they go in. And so it's going to be Joshua who will lead the people. So on a certain level, this is a prophecy about Joshua. And on a certain level, it's an encouragement for the people to listen to Joshua. I mean, I'm, at, I, I'm convinced that uh, I'm, I'm talking with somebody about the book of Joshua tomorrow, uh, one of our students. And I've become convinced that Joshua has one of the hardest jobs in the Bible. Following, following up from Moses? He's the one who has to go in place of Moses. Dude, we always talk about that with priests. Like, yeah. some, like sometimes, like, like Father <laughs> Father Sean came here, and I was like, dude, I'm just a big personality. I don't mean to be. <laughs> it's, it's not like I signed on for this, and somehow I, like, had this intention to be a big personality. It just happened over time. It's because of your big hair. It's my big hair and my sharpening stone. <laughs> and, like, you know, it just happens, and I, and yeah. I felt bad. I, like... And I just kept on trying to minimize stuff to be like, dude, you're you're not. Don't try to be me. You just got to be you, because because like, but all priests yeah. kind of have to do this. Sure, like, absolutely. Like and be, bishops for that matter. Yes, I mean in a big way. Yeah, popes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. It's a, it's it, this is a this is a sort of universal problem in a certain sense. <laughs> but this is the thing is is that Joshua's gig to follow up after a person like Moses, yeah. who like everybody was like, it's it's like he parted the Red Sea for Pete's sake. I mean, this is he's a big it. deal. That's it. Yeah. So he's gonna, but but again, he's saying he's gonna raise God. God is gonna raise. It's not me just choosing the guy I think is best. Right. God's gonna raise somebody up from among your own kin, and to him you gotta listen. And this is exactly what you requested. This is an interesting one. This is exactly what you requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, "Let us not again hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see his fire anymore, lest we die." Mm. Do you remember? Do, do you know what uh, Moses is referring to there? No. Do you remember that scene? Oh yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Where where all of a sudden everybody's hearing the voice of God and they're like yeah, directly, so, and it's it's almost like Jesus got gets on the PA system and has a direct line to everyone. Yeah, so, and they're so, like, please, would you stop? Well, yeah. So con- contextually, so Moses went up on Mount Sinai <laughs> to get the Ten Commandments, right? Yep. And everyone is hearing the Ten Commandments in the second person singular in their ear. They're like, "You, Father Peter Mosset, shall not steal. You." Um, I mean, I'm naming listeners in my head. I'm not going to do that. But we you know, do, you we have so some and shout so. outs to do. We can just name them. <laughs> we can just name them. Carrie Floyd. Shall not commit adultery. <laughs> you, you know. But And they're like, oh my gosh, this is freaking us out. We're hearing God's voice. And so they tell Moses, we don't want God to talk to us anymore. This is too much. It's horrifying. You and going, you go get the message, bring it back to us, and we'll listen to you. Right. And which is uh, it's kind of funny. I mean, they're saying we need an intercessor. We're not ready for the presence of God to be that close, which is an interesting mm. insight, I think, into the course of salvation history. Mm. Because apparently at that point in salvation history, they were not ready for the presence of God to be that close to them. Mm. But what is God's intent? Well, his, 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 his answer is okay. He actually, Moses quotes and he says, God says that that's okay. This is well said. That's right. fine. So I'll, I'll raise up a prophet. I'll give an intermediary. Right. But there is going to come a time, God says in his, deep within his heart, where I'm actually going to come among you. And not only will you hear my voice in your ears because I will become incarnate in the person of Jesus, but you will actually receive me into your very bodies. And in a very real way, while this statement of Moses is talking about Joshua and then talking about all the prophets who will come after, who will, will share with the people of Israel the, the voice of the Lord and tell them what's, what's going on in the heart of the Lord, it is in a very real way about ultimately about Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus' name is in Hebrew? New Moses? No, his name, though. 
Yeshua. Yeshua, which means Joshua. Joshua. Oh my goodness! I dude, why have I? That's so absurd that I forget. No, these no, things. no. It's 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 embedded. It's deep. So yeah. he's talking about one Joshua, but he's also talking about the second Joshua, Jesus himself. Mm. So this is this is the way the prophecy works, though, right? There's a there's a proximate, um, there's a proximate fulfillment. That, yeah, he's talking about Joshua, that that guy. But there's also a remote fulfillment when Jesus will ultimately come, the prophet of prophets, the king of kings. I mean, this whole section of Deuteronomy, he's talking about your future king, your future priests, your future prophets. Which all, of course, is leading to the future priest, prophet, and king. It's all setting the stage for Jesus himself. And so Moses, yeah, he's talking about Joshua, but he's also talking about something so far beyond even Moses' understanding um, that it's it's coming. And again, uh, the scriptures, all of the scriptures are meant to teach us, and oftentimes they're meant to teach us what not to do. And so last week we had a great example of the opposite of this, a prophet who didn't listen and he didn't do what the Lord commanded, didn't do what the Lord asked, actually tried to do the opposite of it. Well, what's funny about funny about um, Jonah is that like he, the parable, when Jesus says, you know, there's two kids, will you work in the vineyard today? No, and yes, but one doesn't and the other does. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, there's a certain sense of that. We, he says, who did the father's will? Yeah. The one who said no, but then did but it. But then eventually anyway. did it. Yeah, I mean, he, which, which Jonah does. But, yes. then, but then the saints say any delay in the Lord's will is disobedience. Is disobedience. To the no, Lord's no, will. That, that was actually really a, 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 a center point of focus at this at the SLS. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was for some oh. reason. Well, at least I heard it a few times. Which I maybe, heard it recently too, but I didn't contextualize it in SLS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I kept on hearing it, which is like, Lord, I'm like, I'm like, is this what I'm hearing? I guess it's just like, it's for me, but it's for everybody. It's like, Lord, no, like the Lord has something to do right now. So you're going to show up. And the point is with Jonah. Yeah, he is disobedient and he is delayed and all those things. But the beauty of it is that God's will is going to be fulfilled anyway. Right. Even despite him, which actually leads us, I think, really perfectly into the responsorial psalm. If you're ready to keep going. Do not harden your hearts at Well, The response is self, though. I mean, is an answer to what we're just saying. Yes. If today you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Harden not your hearts. Don't, you know, mull about it, get ticked off about it, grumble about it for a while, and then eventually come around. I mean, God's still going to use that. Yeah, I mean, Jesus' parable is right. If the person is unfaithful, says no, and eventually comes around, great. God's going to use that. Right. But yet, if today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Listen to him. Right. And if you hear God speaking through Joshua, listen. And you know what? Even if you hear God speaking through a faulted prophet like Jonah— Harden not your hearts, because mm. even that God can use. And so it's it's a you know, there's many messages here. If you're the prophet, listen to what God is asking you. Follow your vocation. If you're the one who is receiving the prophecy, even if it's through a fault a faulted prophet, listen. Right. Because God's going to speak. He's going to work. If you d- today you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. I mean, I think one of the um, the keys to the entirety of the Christian life is forming a heart. Forming our conscience, forming our hearts in such a way that when we hear the voice of the Lord, even if it's through a faulted human voice, we will be able to recognize it and respond. Yes. That is what the Christian is called to do. Right. To listen, to to train oneself to hear the voice of the Lord, no matter where it shows up. And that's what this psalm is encouraging us to do. 
Well, well, it's interesting because the last line, it says, um, but if a prophet presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded Mm. or speaks in the name of other guys. Oh, you're back in Deuteronomy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I, I just went back for just a second because it triggers within my heart. It's like, no, if somebody's trying to speak in the name of the Lord or if somebody's trying to speak, like we have this opportunity to like everything works for the good of those who love God. And if you are willing to, to open your heart and to allow God to be the king of the fabric of reality, mm. the king of everything the that's bunting place, of reality, the bunting. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like I like flag bunting. Yeah, in yeah, case yeah. you guys are wondering why you you're messing with my bunting, I'm not messing with your bunting. Whatever, dog. And so, like, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think your point is lighting me up because oh, I totally agree. Oh, lovely. We have to be attentive to how God is going to speak. Yeah, and he's gonna do it in some really weird ways. He is. Um, yeah, he is. Speaking of weird ways, well, that could be a great segue into the second reading, but but not yet because you keep mentioning, and I think it's important to note that that last stanza of the response oral psalm. Yeah, it's a stanza, right? Um, oh, that today you hear his voice. Harden not your hearts at Meribah, uh, as at Meribah and in the day of Massa in the desert where your fathers tempted me, they tested me, although they had seen my works. Do you know what that's a reference to? Do you remember that that story? Is that the one where they hit the rock twice? No, you're really close. Okay. Um, it's not where they hit the rock twice. That Moses does that later on because he's ticked off. It's actually the first time. that When he hits the rock twice is the second time they show up. So this is pretty early on. I think it's, uh, is it, is it Exodus 17 or something like that? Where they are, you know, they've just crossed the Red Sea. They're out in the desert. It's we're still pretty early on in the in the desert wanderings. Golden calf sin hasn't happened yet. Uh, Mount Sinai hasn't happened yet. They're wandering around. They're hot. They're hungry. They're thirsty, and they're whining and they're complaining and they're like, Moses, you stink. Why did you bring us out here? They're hardening their hearts, even though they've heard the voice of the Lord, but they've heard it in the context of something that's really hard. Because the will of God was to bring them out into a hard, relentless, unforgiving place. And they say it stinks and it's uncomfortable and I don't like it out here. And God says to Moses, fine, go over to that rock, strike it with your staff, and water's going to come out. Right? Right. And later on, he'll do it out of anger and he'll do it twice and that, that whole thing happens. This is the first time. And um, he gives, and, and they have water and they have, uh, you know, refreshment. But yet they named that place Meribah, at Meribah and Massa because they argued with God and they quarreled with him. And it was almost God begrudgingly saying, fine, here's your water. And I always wonder, like, did God have something better planned? Like, other than just here's a rock with some water squirting out of it? Like, I, I don't know. But he's like, fine, stop whining. But it's this moment where... Dude, that's spoken like such a true dad. <laughs> just, because, yeah, I have we have a lot of Maribah and Massa spots in our life. Yeah, no, I, I, rightly. And, and I'm reading this and I'm just, uh, the only thing I can think of, and I don't know what this has to do with anything else, the only thing I can think of when I'm reading this is I'm like, man, I know how this story ends. And if you think they're being disobedient with the rock having water, just wait a couple chapters and they and yeah, things, everything's going to things are gonna get. I, but I'm fascinated by the fact that this is what the psalmist turns to for to to highlight their disobedience. I, I was I, I uh, am uh, reading the Narnia books for the first time. Really? Yeah. Well I, done. I I uh, I mean I I know Lion Witch in the Wardrobe because yeah. of the movie, 
But um, and but I never read them, and so I read uh, uh the magician and his nephew because it's magician's nephew, yeah, magician's. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's a different book. <laughs> and um, there's a certain point, and uh, spoiler mm-hmm. alert if you haven't read Uh-oh. it. Oh, um, there's this moment where Uncle Andrew, uh, refuses to hear, uh, the voice of Aslan. Mm. Um, and and because of his refusal to acknowledge that he, the lion would be singing, he <laughs> is not something you see every day. No, no. I mean, it's it, it, well. This is the whole thing that we're trying to get at yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that um, is that he refuses to believe a lion would be singing, and mm. in his refusal, it, the lion becomes unintelligible along with all the other beasts. Oh wow! And so, in in a certain sense, the song of creation and the song of love that's uttered from the Creator <sighs> becomes unintelligible if we harden ourselves to if it. If we harden ourselves to it, oh. and so like, and so, Uncle Andrew is this kind of wow. like image for us of wow. of those who are un become unreceptive to reality and thus cannot understand reality. You can't understand wow. anything but yet there's the song of all of creation that speaks and sings that which which we're trying to convince you of right now. Yeah. Well, which is what the psalm is singing to harden you. your hearts at Mirabah Mass is you saying you will like, not be able to understand reality if you harden your hearts like this. Yeah, you don't understand uh. that this rock is actually this, this like this fore image of the salvation that you're going to receive and that the wilderness is is this mm. thing that's actually going to sing for all of history. The wilderness will be your classroom. It's not a pleasant one, but right. it's what's meant to actually teach you in that moment. Yes. Which we're going to come back to that point. And and that song, though a sparse, difficult song, is a song nonetheless. That was very poetic of you. <laughs> right? Yes. Were you, were you quoting something? No, I was it just It sounded singing. like a quote. Dude, that's, that's a compliment. Hey, that thank a... you. I've been reading Elements of Eloquence I, I by Mark Forsyth. That's what I assumed. Yeah. Second reading. Speaking of confusing sparse forests. <laughs> oh, dude. About wildernesses. <laughs> <laughs> the, oh, man. I mentioned this last week. I do think there's a very specific um, societal context to this passage, but we don't really have time or space or, or, or liturgical space on Sunday to actually go into it. So we kind of have to make sense of it on its own terms, right? Basically, well, yeah, I mean... But I, I think I have a thought. Give, you can give like one... Cr- we could give a brief. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I mentioned it last week. I mean, this this shows up in the context of Paul's giving advice about marriage. He's And, and he says at the beginning of it, this section... He says, what I'm about to tell you, Corinthians in chapter 7, this is my opinion. This is not a perennial um, dogma or something like that. This is my opinion as a, as a wise spiritual leader based on the facts at hand. Right. He says, based on whatever's happening, he says, in light of the, what he calls the impending distress or the, uh, the present disaster of some translations, Based on what's happening in Corinth, and historically we're not sure what he's talking about exactly, you know, the letters are always reading somebody else's mail, which is always the way we have to kind of go into them and figure, try to figure out, okay, what's the context here? I'm hearing one half of a conversation, and we can we can make it sensible, but it takes a little work. Paul's letters are difficult. Yes. Um, but he's saying in light of something that's happening, and, and historians and scholars think maybe there's a, a massive persecution that's about to start. We know that there is a huge Christian persecution that's about to get heated up in this time period. We also know there was a mass, massive famine in this part of the world about this time. Either way, things are going to get real hard 
And I'm reminded, of course, of Israel in the wilderness. There's going to be a temporary period of time where things are real hard. Right. And in that time period, you got to look at the world a little bit differently because mm-hmm. God's going to teach you. And so he says in that context, um, he's talking about, you know, maybe, maybe it's not wise He's giving advice about marriage and whether or not someone should or should not get married at a particular point in time. And so th- there is a context, and that's just a word about that. But but if you read it, what he says is this. Brothers and sisters, I want you free of anxieties. An unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is anxious about the things of this world, how he may please his wife. And he's divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is anxious about the things of the Lord so that she may be both holy in body and spirit. A married woman, on the other hand, is anxious about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I'm telling you this for your own benefit. I don't want to impose any kind of restraint on you, but for the sake of propriety and inheritance to the Lord without distraction." What I take from that, again, I think there's an historical context that he's speaking to this congregation about. But what I take from that, in light of the other readings, is a very realistic way of looking at the world that says, look, if you enter into something like marriage, it's going to be very hard. And you're going to have to serve your spouse. And you're going to have to sacrifice yourself. And it's going to be difficult at times. And I want you to understand that. And if you don't choose to go to marriage, if you choose to be a priest or a a, a celibate or something, there's going to be lots of its own difficulties. And you're going to have its own devotions. He's giving a statement of realism that if you want to hear the voice of the Lord, and if the Lord is calling you to marriage, if the Lord is calling you to celibacy, you need to look at it realistically. And you need to be prepared for the challenges that lie ahead. And you got to ask yourself, okay, why is he saying this? Well, because apparently the Corinthians are really struggling with what marriage means. Mm. Apparently the Corinthians are really struggling with what relationships are. Apparently Mm. the Corinthians are struggling with utter selfishness. And he's saying, look, God has a plan for your life. God has something that he's asked of each of you. He wants you to hear his voice. But if you hear his voice, you got to be prepared for what he's going to call you to do. Mm. And it's going to be hard. And I think that's a, a, a perfectly fitting context in the other readings that we have. Listen to the voice of Joshua. But what Joshua is going to ask you to do or what God is going to ask you to do through Joshua is going to be hard. You're going right. to have to go to battle. You're going to have to cross some rivers. You're going to have to settle a new land. It's going to be challenging. Right. And you've had challenges before, he says to Israel. Remember that one time you were out in the wilderness and you were really thirsty and you started complaining and grumbling and begging to go back to your slavery in Egypt? Yeah, it's going to be like that. <laughs> Things are going to be hard. Don't forget where you've come from. So listen to the voice of the Lord. Hear him. And if you hear him, do not harden your hearts because it's going to go much worse for you. But if you do hear the voice of the Lord and you listen to him and you follow him, don't be unrealistic about the challenges that you're going to face. It's going to be hot. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be a desert. You're going to be thirsty. But don't grumble because God is using that for teaching you. And he's going to bring great good. Does that make any sense? It does. What, so we, I think there's we, a we universal talk, context. We talk about that in shorthand within the church is like, hey, I'm really in the I'm really in a dry period in prayer. Yeah, yeah. I uh, am, you know, I'm struggling. I I don't really have a sense of the Lord. Oh man, the Lord loves to use the dry periods. But this is this is exactly what it like. What he loves the desert. He does. That is one thing salvation history teaches us. If there's one thing that God loves, it's the desert. And and the, this this context that you're trying to draw out to, to say that like there is uh, my dad has a shorthand and I've been thinking about it a lot recently which is has um, he seen a doctor about that 
Ah, shorthand. Shorthand. Yeah, that was silly. I, no, I no, regret it immediately. He's uh, definitely seeing a court clerk about it. Shorthand. Ah. Uh, okay. okay. So, um, uh, is that uh, it? It says you, you can either suffer doing the will of the Lord or suffer avoiding the will of the Lord. Yeah. Right. It, Very good. It, like. But it's funny as a celibate, I read that and I say, um, you know, for those of you who are who are unmarried, remain as such so you don't have to be anxious about anything but pleasing the Lord. And I'm like, ooh, the danger is the anxiety about being able to please your own self. Yeah. And to say like, oh, these are my desires versus like actually spending the time in prayer to say like, no, I'm going to actually be attentive to what God has I mean, what? Because I'm on mission. I'm free. I've already died with Christ, and the life that I live is no longer my own. As a married person, I actually have more fear reading this as a celibate person than as a married person. I mean, he's saying for married people, like, you need to worry about the things of the world and your wife. You know, I have a mortgage, PTA. all these things. As a celibate person, he's saying, you worry about the things of the Lord. And if I'm a celibate person, I'm like, Oh shoot! Is that what I'm doing? <laughs> like no, it, you've just basically told me exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Am I am I living up to that? Right. That's kind of scary. Yeah, because selfishness creeps in whether you're married or you're celibate. Exactly right. And, That's the point. And kids and wives and husbands have a tendency to defeat that glorious selfishness. It's hard with, to be selfish with with the proximity of need. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Of course, right. So does a parish. So Lord does a parish mercy. though, but that's the thing because we call you father, not for symbolic reasons. Yeah, and he says, "I'm telling you this for your own benefit, yeah. not to impose restraint, but for the sake of propriety and adherence to the Lord without distraction." Yes. We like like cuz as as a married person, like if you can make your lives about the Lord, then, then you, then like, I mean, it's like, uh, you introduced me to catechism 1534. Mm. These two vocations, marriage and the priesthood are holy orders. holy orders are disposed to the salvation of others. others. And if they affect personal salvation, it is because they are at first at the service of others. Blew my mind when yeah. I first read that. Cause I thought, okay, priesthood, you know, holy orders, that's about the salvation of other people. If I get married, my job is the salvation of my spouse and my kids. Catechism says, uh-uh, that's not the gig. Your marriage is meant to be for the salvation of the world. Right. Yeah, it's a, pre, it's, it's a given that you're supposed to get yourself and your spouse to heaven. Your marriage is supposed to be an icon for the salvation of others. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> that's, that's a big call. Yeah. The church gets this, though. And Paul is basically mm. saying, again, I think he's speaking to a people like us who don't get marriage. Can you imagine a culture that doesn't get marriage What's or sexuality like? or relationships? Or... I can't imagine. <laughs> He's saying, you guys don't get it, and I want you to see what this actually is. And he, he's very clear. I'm not imposing this as a restriction. It's for your benefit so that you get that you're going to have to die to yourself. You're going to have to sacrifice. But that's the point, right. and that's what I want you to get. Right. So I think this is very much for us. I think that we live in an age now where we're starting to declare more and more married saints, mm. partly because it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. I think that maybe in ages past that there was a little bit of more of something intrinsic to marriage that was understood. I don't know, no, though. That's interesting. And nowadays, it's, be, it's huh. becoming more and more um, confusing, and so we need higher and higher examples of, I think that's right. of that nobility of I 1534. Think right. I think you're absolutely right.
And again, the church is saying, we've always seen this. We've been sitting here the whole time saying the same thing. And it'd be great if the world would listen to us for once. Speaking of the world listening to us. Mark. Mark. Chapter one. Mark it out. Mark, Mark, Mark. So here's what we need to know. Mark chapter one, verse 21, where we're coming from, comes hot on the heels of last week's reading, which is the call of the first disciples. This is, by the way, um, Mark chapter one, verse 21. This is the first public active ministry that Jesus does in the gospel of Mark. Um, have we talked about this? I, just, no. I'll, I'll be really quick about this. Um, there's this great feature of all four gospels, right? Okay. Where you, you, you know, we have four gospels. It's kind of a crazy thing to think, right? That we have four different versions of the exact same story. Right. And you got to think like, that's probably like, that's not a very efficient way to write a Bible, but <laughs> the church in her great wisdom said, we're going to have four versions of the same story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, yep. that are all telling the same exact story, the life, death, passion, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ from slightly different points of view. And you can learn a lot about the points of view of each of the Gospels based on the first public act of ministry that you see Jesus do. That's a Have gr- we ever talked about this? Yeah, I, you know what? I, I I remember learning this actually in school. It's I remember really this cool. in seminary. And like, um, I, I forget why they're important, but I know that you're supposed to pay attention to the first what, public act of because, ministry. Because it's going to tell you the theme of that gospel. Right, exactly. So for Matthew, do you remember what the first thing in Matthew is? Public, publicly he does. Calling? Uh, no, in Matthew it's the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. It's the first kind of big public action he does. Why is that important? It's because Matthew is the teaching gospel. You get more of the content of Jesus's teaching and preaching in the gospel of Matthew than any other gospels. And okay. it, it was historically believed to be the church's first catechism. We actually have more copies archaeologically of Matthew than of any of the other gospels, which tells you the church, the early church spread it around because it was the first catechism. So it tells you the, the theme of that gospel. Um, Luke, um, the first public thing he does is the, the the sermon at the synagogue of Nazareth. Yeah. Where he pronounces a jubilee year, the freedom, the release from sin, which is going to be the theme of the book of Luke. Um, the first public thing he does in John is the wedding feast at Cana. And the theme of John and all of Johannine literature is going to be the marriage between uh, uh, you know, the, the wedding feast, feast the right? Yeah. So you can see the themes. So the first public thing he does in Mark is an exorcism, <laughs> which like yeah, that's a pretty big one. Yep. Which tells you the theme of Mark. It Mark is the most action packed. It's the shortest. It's the most like boom, boom, boom. But it's the one where Jesus is sort of in battle. It's the pick you up by your collar and let, and and it's like let's get going, let's get moving because there's a battle to fight. So right. the first public thing he does is this exorcism in the synagogue, right? Um, but we need to know that it comes immediately after the calling of those disciples, which comes immediately after. Do, do you know what Jesus has just come from? So the way that Mark portrays it, and obviously this is just his, his point of view, um, right before Jesus calls the apostles, as he did in our reading from last week, do you know where he's coming from? No. Based on the theme of the readings that we're getting this week. Bethany? No. He's coming from the wilderness. Oh, okay. He's coming from the desert. Remember yeah. the theme of the desert? The grumbling, the complaining, the, the hardness, the, the hardships, Massa, the yeah. Maribyrn Massa. He has just come from the desert where he fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. The uh, the best line, one of my favorite lines of all of the Bible is that one and verse. And he was hungry. And he was hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when we sing it. I know. <laughs> so he's just come from the hardship, right? From the suffering where he is in some theological sense, undone all of the unfaithfulness of the of the oh, Israelite generation. In the, in the wilderness, yeah. He's been faithful precisely where uh, they were unfaithful. Where Moses and him were unfaithful. 
What? Where Moses and uh, and Israel weren't faithful. Yeah. No, Jesus was always faithful. Yes, Strike right. that okay. reverse it. <laughs> sure. Sorry, though, I went Willy Wonka on that one. No, no, you're good. And then he comes out of the wilderness, calls some apostles, and starts performing an exorcism. And here, here, here's, so the context is really important with regards to the rest of these yeah, readings, right? absolutely. So he shows up in Capernaum. He's got these apostles now. And uh, it's the Sabbath. He goes in the synagogue. He teaches. Um, the synagogue is a unique uh, um, ceremony. In the synagogue, any person, any Jewish person had the right or the possibility of getting up and teaching in the synagogue. It, it, it's like, I mean, can you imagine the... Uh, <laughs> Chaos. Can you imagine the chaos at St. Thomas Aquinas? Of, yeah, at homily time, anybody can just kind of come up and say their piece. Anyway, that's how the synagogue would work. So a little bit crazier than it is now. Scott, I would like it if you'd come up and talk. You'd like it if I came up and talked. I would. Thank you. Maybe not everybody, though. Like, yeah, I've got something to add to that. I would love it if you'd come up and talk. I can't. I'm not allowed. I know. It's cool. Okay. Um, so the people are astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. That's a big theme of the Gospel of Mark. He teaches with authority and not mm. like the scribes. Right. Do you know what that means, though? Because I think there's an historical context to this. Well, I mean, there's the seat of Moses. Yeah, I think there's something very much more practical about okay. how the scribes and the rabbis liked to teach. What it meant to be, and in, in, a, in a very broad, broad-stroked way, what it meant to be a good rabbi in the time of Jesus yeah. was your ability to quote other rabbis. You were a really good rabbi if you could cite uh, rabbis that came before you and speak about, you know, the ancients and be like, as so-and-so said, and maybe give your own twist and stuff. But you were a good rabbi if you could quote the ancients, which is a very wise thing to do, right? Right. Go back on, on, you know, the great ones. What I think Mark is saying is that Jesus isn't just quoting people who came before him. He's He's giving new teaching. Right. And people are like, whoa, that's not what rabbis do. They quote other rabbis. This guy... He's just saying stuff on its own, and he nobody just, knows what to do with he it. He's just making this up as he goes. <laughs> this boy just making it up. But they, but they love it. They're like, oh my gosh, this I is know. amazing, because he is set aside. He is different than everybody else they've ever heard, and they're blown away. So, so yeah, they're in the synagogue. He's teaching new things, and and again, I don't think they're new in the the salvation history. But he's like, I'm not going to quote somebody else. I'm going to tell you what this means. I'm right. going to give my opinion right. on it or my my teaching on this. And in the synagogue, this guy with an unclean spirit, he cried out. Now, we don't know if this is some guy who's been, you know, maybe he's a regular attendee of this synagogue, or maybe he's some rando that heard Jesus was there and came just to, just to call him out. We don't know. But some guy st- stands up and cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, says this man with a demon, the Holy One of God. And the Holy One of God is a term that's used most often in the Old Testament for prophets. Mm. What does the first reading say? You got to listen to the voice of the prophets. Right. He's calling Jesus, this man with an unclean spirit. He's giving him a prophetic title and he's saying, I hear what you're saying. The demon, make no mistake hears and understands what the prophet is saying. Mm. The demon is hearkening to the call of the first reading. Wow. He's not hearkening to the psalm, whereas you should not harden your hearts, because I don't know the state of his heart, but he's hearing it. And there's something so, I don't know quite what to do with it, but there's something very powerful about that and all the ways that we fail to hear the voice of God and we ignore or it falls on silent ears. But the demons, you better believe, hear it. 
Right. This guy hears exactly, and he recognizes it, and he's like, I know exactly who you are, O Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him. He, he, it's, it's an exorcism language. He says, quiet, come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed and went out with a loud cry, and everyone was amazed, and they're like, what the heck is going on? Right. We just came here to get the donuts afterwards. What is this? <laughs> this new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. They hear the voice of Yeshua, and they obey him. Mm. As Deuter- Even the demons right. obey Deuteronomy. Mm. They might have hardened hearts while right. they're doing it, but they obey. And because of that, his fame spread everywhere through the whole of Galilee. I don't quite know what to do with it, but there's some interesting connections there. I, I think it is fairly convicting, though, for those of us who feel like, yeah, I, I don't hear the voice of the Lord in my life very often. What does that mean? Why not? What's preventing us? What's blocking us? The demons hear the voice of the Lord. Right. What have I put in my ears that stops them up, that blocks them? Mm. Because for a lot of us, it's not just if you hear the voice of the Lord, don't harden your hearts. A lot of us just aren't hearing the voice of the Lord. We don't even get to the point of hardening our hearts or not because (laughs) we're not hearing anything. Yes. So what is stopping our ears? That's, I think, the spiritual question that these readings are making us ask. Is it because you're like those in the wilderness who are too busy complaining, who are, from the second reading, too busy thinking about yourself and your own worries and your own anxieties to hear the voice of the Lord? What is it? And I'm saying this convicting, you know, accusing myself, not you guys, more than anything else. What is blocking our ears Is it my selfishness? Is it my complaining? Is it my discomfort? Is it my not really wanting to be in the desert anymore? What is it that's making me not hear? Because these people hear. What'd you say? What? (laughs) (laughs) Huh? (laughs) What'd you say again? No, like, that's it. I I really am convicted by what you're saying. It's like, how do I actually allow myself to engage what the Lord has to say to me? And with courage, because it takes courage to hear the voice of the Lord. It does take courage to hear the voice of the Lord. Because for the Hebrew, and in Hebrew, to hear or to listen, shema, it's not a passive verb. It's an active one. Right. To hear is something you do. It's not just something you passively receive. Right. How do I actively hear the Lord? How do I listen? Um, Yeah, I don't know. That that, that was always uh, powerful for me. Because, you know, we think of listening as just this passivity. I'm just going to sit here until the Lord sees or, or speaks, right? right? Instead of, no, I'm going to go out and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to find the voice of the Lord in my life. Where is he? Maybe he's in this rock that's pouring out some water that I'm kind of angry and grumbly about. You know, one of the things I say, and, and then we'll leave you guys, is uh, the Lord is going to speak where you're tuned in. Mm. And... Uh, and so wh- where do you think that the Lord is going to speak in your life? Where are you anticipating him? Mm. Because the Lord is creative and he is the master of all reality and his song is sung into creation. And um, you have to be willing to hear. And that's the, really the core of it. Because if you are unwilling to hear and you do not believe that the Lord speaks, then you will never believe that he, you're going to receive his word. Right. That's but exactly he, right. He, he wants you to hear it and to transform your hearts. So, so maybe the deeper question is, do you believe that he will speak to you? Right. Because a lot of us don't believe that he really will. So maybe that's the ultimate call here for us. Yeah. You guys, God bless you for your support and your love of this ministry. Mm. And uh, may you continue to listen with ears open to God in this podcast. Dude, you know what's freaky to me sometimes to think about, Scott? 
is that people hear the voice of the Lord in the podcast. And, oh, that's horrifying. And I love it. And I, it's humbling. It's, it's not horrifying. It, yeah, it's, 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 kind it's, of, it's kind of scary because we're it's just scary. a couple of dudes in a basement oh, we're a mess. who a lot of people listen to. And if we, we could never host all of you at once. Not in this basement. It would get really, really awkward. It would be a little crap. Really quickly. A little B.O. Okay. Love you guys. God bless you. See you next week. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.